following message is from a guest speaker of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found at emmanuelcommunity.org. Morning, guys. Yes. I do apologize if you're looking at the, the scripture reading today and you're thinking, isn't that more, you know, appropriate for the, uh, like the Easter, you know, series? Um, you're, yeah, you're right. Um, to be fair, all the good Advent scriptures were already taken by Pe- uh, Pastor uh, Peter and Lester, so this is what was left for me. Good luck, Pastor Steve, next week. Yes. Um, yeah. For those who don't know me, um, my name is Praise. I'm the youth pastor here at the, uh, for the high school ministry in ICC. Uh, I'm not from here. Um, I'm from New Zealand, and uh, I've been here maybe like six months now, five. And uh, it's been great. It's been great. Uh, I've got to learn a lot about the American way, and, and, you know, and spending time, and Thanksgiving, and, you know, the gobble and whatnot. And uh, it was great just seeing so many great American traditions and uh, seeing so many Asian people very involved with that is, is quite, uh, quite new for me. But as, I, as I'm living here, I got to embrace the culture. And one of the things that I was embracing really well was Amazon Prime. And uh, gosh, it's changed my life. Wow. Man, like boom, next day, it's right there in your doorstep. Oh my goodness. And uh, I mean, uh, free cancellation, free returns, uh, that, that's crazy. And sometimes the guy comes uh, to pick it up for you. I mean, that is crazy. So obviously, you know, um, my sister who lives here uh, put me under her family account. And uh, yeah, I went guns blazing. And, uh, but with that, of course, um, came uh, this, uh, this, 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 from Thanksgiving, I, I realized that you guys had this uh, Black Friday, like, you know, thing that's going on. So that was amazing. And, and guys, uh, congratulations. Uh, new record uh, this year. Uh, $9.8 billion. Wow. Yes. And uh, definitely, I admit, I, I definitely contributed to that 9.8. Um, I was part of it. And I, I believe so many of you guys were as well. Um, but I get it. I get it. Um, uh, I mean, it's crazy. I thought you guys were in inflation, but we, that didn't stop us from doing this, right? But I get it because, like, it's, it's that, that time where, where the discounts are out, you know? Um, and then, of course, later on, you have to think about the cyber, whatever cyber thing that goes on on Monday. I don't know, that, that too. So that's another thing that you can't miss out on. Now you're thinking ahead and you're like, man, I, I need to start buying the things for next year, you know, and then next, and next thing you know, you're like, oh, Christmas is coming. And um, research shows that those who have birthdays on January, you get the least presents um, simply because we're dirt poor by then. Yeah, so, so much shopping. Um, but the reason for that is, is, is interesting. Forbes actually... Um, Uh, state this really well, and it says that the impact of discount can have on a consumer demand, especially with quality products that drove a lot of these impulse shopping. So yes, it is these discounts that that we see, sales, that really drives us to make these purchases. Uh, You've probably seen this viral photo that went on uh, recently. I don't know if you've seen it, but yeah, it's a, it's a scam, guys. Yes, we all fell for it. Yeah. Um, So these sales that we see here on Black Friday, well, 
apparently it's, it's, it's not anything new. It was going on for a long time. But what's something interesting that happens here is because of the, the new label that says Black Friday deal, we, we feel the inclination that we have to get it now. If it's not now, then we will not get it later. And we have these impulse drives, like, oh, we need to get it now. For those who study business, you probably know this as the scarcity principle. It's a theory that possesses the idea that the more difficult it is to obtain a product, the more valuable that product then becomes. Robert Cialdini, a well-known psychologist, states this, because we know that the things that are difficult to possess are typically better than those that are easy to possess, we can often use an item's availability to help us quickly decide on its quality. What this says is simply this, depending on a scarcity, on how hard or easy it is to obtain something, the value for that shifts. Therefore, our attitude, our desires, our intention, our even posture towards it, change with it. You know exactly what this means. Let's be honest, this is all around us. The winter retreat catalyst registry blew up the moment we said the early bird discount deadline, Monday. Everyone just went on a computer and then they went crazy, right? Something about this, the sense of, uh, of if, if it's harder to get it, then we have this desire of like, oh, I need to get it now. The sense of rarity. We see this even in K-dramas. They're rich, handsome, you know, uh, the main character guy. He falls in love with that one girl that's not easily swayed by his money. And he gets obsessed with her. Why? She's the first girl that rejected him. Oh, so toxic, I know. Um, but it, it's, it's, it's there, it's there. And I completely understand it too. Um, I just want to show you one of these things that I, I own. Um, I, I love shoes, by the way. And I just want to show you this shoe. So, so for those who don't see it, um, I have a photo of it here. And it's, uh, it's, it, was, yeah, it was retail price, really cheap, like $75, first released in 2006. It's called Papa Beers, um, the SB Dunks. Um, the reason for it, it was because it was doing this creative thing with, you know, the gold locks with the three bears. There's a papa bear, mama bear, and baby bear. This is the papa bear. Therefore, as you see it, there's like fur on it. Yeah, uh, fur and it's brown and, and it's very tacky, let's be honest. I didn't buy this. I didn't. It was actually given to me by, uh, by a friend. It was a gift. And uh, I know, of course, because it's a gift, I'm like, oh, thank you. Like, but like, obviously, I didn't, I didn't wear this at all. No, it was like, I can't wear this. It's just too loud. And, you know, so I think I just wore it like once or twice when I was like cleaning the driveway or something outside. So it was like that. And after a while, I totally forgot about it. I shoved this in into that, you know, that closet, the storage closet with all the other shoes that you like, you don't wear, you know what I mean? It's, it's out of trend. Well, I shoved it in there and I totally forgot about it. Years down the road, um, as, as I am, you know, I become more interested in shoes, I like to collect those rare shoes. I was watching a YouTube clip of this famous uh, shoe collector, and it was going through the list of his holy grails, the holy grails of shoes. These are the shoes that are like impossible to get unless you break your bank or sell a kidney. So it's like one of those shoes that you're like, man, like what's it, what is it in this in their ten, in their top 10 list? And oh my gosh, in this top five, this, shoes, this shoe appears. And I was like, wait, are you kidding? And recently, I just, uh, there's a resale market, by the way, in shoes. Recently, I just um, I saw that, um, if you go to the next slide, this right now costs around $2,800. 
Yeah. Um, it, this size, apparently, there's only five in existence right now. And uh, I, I, uh, I, uh, uh, it's crazy, I know. And uh, guys, imagine the moment I realized this, the moment I watched the YouTube clip, of course, I stopped everything I was doing. I ran to my closet, you know, took out all the other shoes that I did. Like, what, where is it? Like, I was searching for treasure in this hidden field, right? So I was just going through it, and there I saw it. And you know my first response? I repented. Yes. <laughs> How dare I to not see the value of this shoe? <laughs> oh, I went and bought some shoe shampoo, scrubbed it, cleaned everything. Got to my, my dad's room, got, you know, took his like really expensive cologne. <laughs> you know, did that. And I put it up on the shelf as it looks down on all the other peasant shoes that I own. <laughs> Isn't it crazy, guys, that the moment we realize the actual cost of something, our attitude towards it completely changes. So what does this mean is that indeed, our perception of value is deeply influenced by the ease or difficulty of obtaining something. And we know that so well. It is all around us. You know, you just go to, uh, if you go to Korea, um, it's a well-known fact that restaurants will hire uh, people to line up in front of their stores because the more they see people lined up, they feel like it's worth going. So yes, I was a victim of that too. Lined up for one hour and 30 minutes just to eat some udon. But something about waiting one hour and 30 minutes makes that udon the best udon I had in my life. Perhaps that this is also what was happening here in the scriptures in Mark chapter 11. When Jesus enters the, 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 the temple, and you know the story, he goes and he flips tables, and by all means, if you see Jesus flipping tables, you should take, you should take a lot uh, a close attention to why he is, to what was going on. Why was he saying that you, you, this is a den of robbers? Who was he confronting? Who were they there to steal and what were they stealing? In order to understand this, we first need to understand the purpose of the temple. Uh, in the Old Testament, the temple was a place where people were able to tend to commune with God. Yes, the very place where they can atone for their sins and be reconciled into relationship. It's been part of the Old Covenant. And if you look carefully at the sacrificial system as laid out in the book of Leviticus, this is the procedure. It says, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when anyone among you brings an offering to the Lord, bring as your offering an animal from either the herd or the flock. You are to lay your hand on the, hand, the head of the offer, burnt offering. You are to slaughter the young bull. You are to skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. And then Aaron's son, the priest, shall bring the blood and splash it against the sides of the altar at the entrance to the tent of meeting. It is a burnt offering, a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. For the life of the body is in its blood. I have given you the blood on the altar to purify you, making you right with the Lord. It is the blood given in exchange for a life that makes purification possible. Now, quick question, who is the one doing the killing? Who is the one doing the cutting, the spilling, the skinning? If you think it is the priests, you are wrong. 
later on it shifts in chapter 16. That's dedicated for the priests. But for here, if you look at it carefully, it is actually us, you, the lay people who are to come. And we are the ones to go and do the kill. We are the ones to go and skin and cut into pieces. And this kind of changes the whole concept of the sacrificial system. Now, uh, there's three ways of uh, killing a, an animal in the sacrifice. Um, the artery, the cerebrum, or the heart, okay? So every time I, I share this or I ask the students uh, in any youth camp that I go to, n- number one, any guy, every time I ask a guy, a boy will say, oh, easily, the neck. You know, they think it's just going to be one of those quick, you know, like a samurai sword, and it slides off the neck. Yeah, yeah, everyone thinks that. One hit kill. They think that, no. Apparently, super hard. The moment you go for the neck, just blood spills everywhere. The animal cries, moves around, and it's so thick. And because everyone's like freaking out, it's like, oh my gosh. And they just, they have to exit to give that quick death. You know, of course, by this time, yes, a lot of the students are like horrified. Like, oh my gosh. Get out of this misery, the, the cerebrum. And there's like, okay, of course, the headshot, good choice. And they go for it, right? But what do they have back then? A gun? No. I know, a blunt fork? Maybe. And so what they're doing is they're going for the head, yes. But we all know how thick that skull is. What it does is just fractures it. Again, the animal squeaks, freaks out. And because now it's in agony, the person now wants to like end its misery. So it's just, again, axing it. Maybe pokes an eye out. In the meantime, I'm sorry if this is very graphic for you guys, but this is what is going on in the Old Testament, guys. This was a sacrificial system. Then, of course, the last option. <laughs> Just end it quickly, please, the heart. Awesome question, where is the heart? Where is it? It's, when I asked this to Catalyst last time, they said, it's in the chest. <laughs> yes, we all know that. Where, where, which part? Apparently, it's right next to the shoulder area in the middle. And getting there, again, is so hard. Later on, within the Mishnah Code, which is the translation or interpretation of the Levitical Code by the rabbis through time and tradition, they later on made some changes. They they altered it so it's easier. But in the OG ways, in the time of the Old Testament, by the time of the Leviticus, this is how you do it. Another aspect. The only place that you can do this was in the temple in Jerusalem. So as the map shows, that this was uh, the the 12 tribes that were scattered around Israel. And Jerusalem is right there. And what you do is you have to bring an animal from your herd, okay? And it has to be perfect. We all know this. So let's just say, this is what's going on. I have three lambs, right? I just, my family, they own lambs, okay? So one day, you know, like, I, just got, I got angry. One of the kids in the neighborhood like, started bullying me. I had to, like, stand up for myself. And then we just started, like, you know, cussing a little bit. And then I, and I threw the first punch, boom, you know, and, and one of his tooth fell. I have sinned. I've hurt somebody. So what do I do? Now I have to atone for my sins. So I go to the farm. I was like, dang, all right. Uh, take you, picks the lamb up, and I go to the temple. I walk all the way there, okay? 
I make it to the temple. There the priest is like, hey, confess your sins. Like, this is my sin. And then I do the procedure. I kill it. I, I lay my hands on it. I kill it and pop my sins, skin it, everything, and I go. And I'm on my way home. And then I'm like, oh, man, I didn't deserve this. That guy started it first, making all these little defenses, you know, as I walk back home. And then as I'm walking back, Home, a bird flew over my head and, and it started pooping. It landed on my head. And I was like, man. And then I, I, I swore, I cussed. I used God's name in vain. It's like, dang it. What did I do? I sinned again. And I go back home. I was like, oh, all right, number two. All right, I pick him up. And I come back home. I took it to the temple. By this time, the priest looks at me, just shakes his head. I lay the land down and I gave him, was like, confessing my sins, what did you? I used the, uh, the Lord's name in vain. So, all right. I did the same thing, the procedure. Uh, uh, uh. And I go home. As I go home, my dad finds me. He's like, hey, son. Yes, dad. What happened to, do you ever seen our sheep? Have you seen any, like, what, what happened to that? I don't see any of them. And I'm like, uh, I freak out. Uh, I, I, no, I'm sorry, I don't know. I'll ask my little brother. What did I just do? I lied. Oh, no. Again, I sinned. So I'm like, number three, I take him with me. And as I'm going, I tripped over a twig, and I, and I tossed my lamb, and I landed on a tree, and I bruised his eyes. And what happened? It's now defiled. It's in defect. I can't use it. Now I go back home, and I go back, and I'm, this time I'm freaking out. Why? Because I don't want to die for my own sin, because I'm a selfish being, you know. But the problem is, we ran out, except for one. See, I have one more, and uh, he's a little different. His name is Snow, and uh, he's a buddy of mine. See, Snow is a little different, because uh, I was there when he was... Uh, and he, his mom gave birth to him. Um, and uh, in fact, we had a little connection from the start. Um, he lives with me. We eat together. We share the same bed. He's my friend. He's my buddy. And uh, when I call him by name, Snow, he runs to me. Now, this is the only option I have. And I call Snow. And there he is, smiling, running, thinking we're going to play again. I pick him up, and now I'm going back to the temple. And by this time, I'm thinking how stupid was my sins. I realized how costly my sins were. It wasn't worth this. It wasn't worth this. And I lay snow there, and I go for the kill. You might think that this is just a fictional story. Um, yes, it is. But uh, it's actually based on something. Um, when I, I actually studied um, inductive Bible study in England, it's called School of Biblical Studies, and we're at multiple campuses. Now, this story about snow um, is from uh, 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 the, the campus in Korea. Now, just disclaimer, they don't do this anymore because I think, you know, it's illegal now. But what happened is um, during the time, the week when they teach this Leviticus, the school, they go out into the farm area, the, and they actually live out 
like it was back in those times. They all, so they all wear clothes with, that's only one material, that's not you know, two different types of material in one, try to live accordingly to the Mosaic law. They live in tents, and they try to uh, obey the 600-odd uh, oral laws that we have. And it's just like, just again, just trying to uh, uh, live by it. And it's impossible. Yes, it's impossible because you are defiled just by touching uh, a, a random thing on the floor. So by the time, at the end of the week, what they do is they, 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 got a, they, they buy a lamb from a nearby farm. And they live with this lamb for the entire week. And we all, they all know what it is. They're going to sacrifice the lamb. And, uh, but what's interesting is in the, the first couple of days, what they do is they, 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 they live with it. And they name him, everything. And what's crazy is that, that the lamb starts following them. Everyone loves the lamb. You know, you, they call him. It runs to you. Everyone just, just loves just hanging out with this lamb. And as the time goes, by Friday, everybody knows what's going to happen. It's the day of atonement. And the high priest who is the school leader comes. And they say, have you sinned? Have you sinned? Have you been defiled? And they're like, yes, yes. So they bring this lamb. And they say, is there, because by law, by Mosaic law, it's not the high priest, but it's the students who have to do it. So they say, is anyone here who's willing to do it on behalf of the community? Nobody wants to do it. The most machoist guy there, already crying. The story goes is that this one young lady, the smallest of them all, shaking, she said, I'll do it. And she takes the knife, the butcher's knife, and everyone by this moment, dead silent crying. And then she goes for it. Blood spills everywhere. People yelling, they're like, make it faster, do it faster. So out of this heaviness, she's just tried to end the misery. Total butchery. The sacrificial system was never meant to be easy. It was never meant to be shallow. It was never meant to be light. It was very, very heavy. It wasn't convenient. So why was Jesus flipping tables? If you look at Mark chapter 11, we understand that Jesus here, he was angry. Yes. He was angry at the thieves who were stealing, robbing the sincerity, the value, the weight of the sacrificial offering. Deceiving them of the weight of sin and the significance and the value of being reconciled to God. All they thought about was how can I bargain my way in receiving atonement? This was the only way for the Israelites to come and to be reconciled with their God. And these people made a place where they were making it feel like as if it was nothing. Hey, brother, special deal, come. One plus one. You get this and you get that together. 
Come on, man. Come on, give me a little bit of a discount. It was no longer a time when they're remembering the significance of what the sacrificial system represented. Can the worship team come up? It's... Um, it, it's, it's so convenient, isn't it? <laughs> American innovation in the finest. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not trying to belittle it. No, if you, that's, if you think that's what I'm trying to do, it's not. No, it's the opposite. In fact, Contrary to everything that I've said so far, I'm very thankful of how accessible it is. Um, it isn't grand, it isn't flashy, um, it isn't scarce. Uh, it, it's, it's, there is no line that you have to line up. Limited quantity, first in, first serve. It's not given to the, only the few lucky ones that are chosen, isn't given to the highest bidder. No, it is easy, so easy for a sinner like me to obtain. It's so simple. It's so simple. It's to the point it feels so ordinary, sometimes feeling mundane. But just because this event tradition that we participate in year in and year out feels ordinary, we shouldn't forget the extraordinary value that's contained within it. Timothy Keller puts it in this way. In his book, Hidden Christmas, this is his last words in concluding that book. The Christmas message itself participates in this ordinariness and commonness so offensive to the world. Don't be put off by the ordinariness of the means of joy, for in their ordinariness is hidden the extraordinary riches of the gospel. Don't make the mistake that the world has always made. Instead, remember. Remember this, how silently, how silently, the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessing of his heaven. Nor ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls receive him still, the dear Christ enters in.